In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness and MAGA Republicans. Welcome, listening friends, to another episode of Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. I thought I would tantalize your ears with starting out with one of the classics with a modern spin. I hope you liked it. So. It was lovely. I thought so. I did. I did. And how are you this fine evening? I'm, I'm fantastic. You know? Good. I'm ready to go. The world is not on fire in any way, shape, or form. Not at all. It's beautiful. Yeah, but if the word weren't on fire, then we would have nothing to talk about. You can look at that, fortunately or unfortunately. Either way, listening friends, we hope you stick around for the 60-ish minutes because yes. we're going to do what we do. Yes. So. Well, before we get started, how was your first week in the, well, three days, I guess, in your new your new position at work? Is it is it going all right? Think it you're going to like it? Is the freshest breath of fresh air I have breathed in a long time. I'll put it like that. Well, that's good. <laughs> that is good because <laughs> um, sometimes you, you know, you you think your job stinks, and you're like, "Man, this job is a spicy jalapeno." And then you move jobs, and you're like, "Holy crap! It was a habanero. I, this new one's a habanero. I was better off with the jalapeno I had before." <laughs> I'll tell you what. If it has started out worse. Than where I came from, and and there were a whole, there were a whole lot of, of reasons why I needed to relocate myself. Part of that was me. I'm accountable for part of that. But had that had the next the next spot had had it been as worse or worse er, I would have just gone ahead and gave up labor altogether, and would have started sketching people's portraits at the beach. Just give up. Just give up. Forget it. Forget it. Right, I can understand that. Fortunately, it looks like that would not have to be the case. So, so far, so good. Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Glad to hear that. So, are you ready to uh, do your WTF? It is actually you. Oh, I guess the, you're right. The, yeah, we did you the had sandwich two. last time. Yes. Yeah, you had the two. All right, I think I think I might have a doozy. So, all right, you gotta love this stuff. QAnon prophet Johnny Enlow, who's also a preacher in the evangelical charismatic evangelical movement, has said that Trump would be justified in calling for a revolution. Here's the reporting by Kyle Mantila, I'm assuming, is how that would be uh, pronounced. I would like to get it right, but sometimes it's just weird knowing which part of the inflections are in a name. So here it goes. Promoting the big lie that the 2020 election was stolen from former President Trump has become a basic requirement for just about any right-wing commentator, activist, or candidate who hopes to gain prominence within the modern-day Republican Party Truer words have never been stated. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but Enlow was one of the televangelist prophet type people that said God had told him on multiple occasions that Trump was going to win the 2020 election. Well, of course, you know, the Bible says that if you prophesy something and it doesn't happen, you're to be stoned. It's funny how he doesn't want to bring that up. But his way of getting around it is this entire time he has said that Trump is still 
president according to God. And that's how his prophecy wasn't wrong. Right. And so <laughs> he has asserted, asserted repeatedly that Trump has secretly been ruling and reigning as president since leaving the White House and that Trump is recognized in heaven as the true president. And he has even declared that Trump is actually the president of the world since leaving office. And so, <laughs> given yeah. that Inlo believes, despite any and all evidence, that Trump is the legitimate leader of this nation and the world, it's no surprise that he has insisted that Trump is entitled to take drastic steps to protect his supposed position of authority. In appearing on the online news channel Elijah Streams program, he asserted that Trump would be entirely justified in calling for a revolution if he believes it necessary to save the country. Someone should probably tell him that the U.S. Army has drones, and they don't. <laughs> so, Trump is the number one kingdom asset for government on planet Earth, and has been, Enlow said. That has not changed, and just because there is a stealing of an election, his influence is so powerful, I don't think people understand that if he was really panicked about us losing the country, he would be justified in calling for a revolution and saying, we have to fight for my kids and for my kids' kids' sake. We have to be willing to fight. If he made that call, they would find out that he is the man in power in this country, not only in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of men. If he gave any hint or evidence that we have lost it completely, if ever he put out the desperation thing, it's time to take up arms. We have to be willing to go. If he did that, they would know how powerful he actually is. Um, okay. <clears throat> First of all, you had me at MAGA profit. I was right? all in. Just, just from that. Secondly, though, and more seriously, Everybody knows that the president of the world is Tommy Tiny Lister, who played President Lindbergh in the cult classic, The Fifth Element. Yeah. I mean, so, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. I mean, what is he? Ah, hell. Yeah. Hmm. I just, I just love the whole, God promised me Trump's going to win. And then afterwards, you know, and. Once God says something, nothing can change it. Then afterwards, the Democrats and the devil stole it. So that would mean they're more powerful than God, right? Because when God sets something in motion, nothing can change it. So he set it in motion, but they changed it. So either you're God, nothing can, isn't, you know, <laughs> infallible like that. But then to be like, oh, no, God still recognizes him as president. That way, nobody can hold me accountable for being full of crap. Right. I guess ignorance is really bliss because you have to be pretty gleefully stupid to believe that enough to say it out loud. Gleefully stupid. I like the sounds of that. And I, I, even for all the things that we have witnessed and, and spoken about here, I still wish a certain a certain amount of, of hope for the gleefully stupid. I still do. If only enough for them to recognize how stupid they have been. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like self-awareness is the cognitive dissonance is so great with them. Self-awareness is just not something they have. Well, <clears throat> They lack so much self-awareness, they don't even know that they're not self-aware. Yeah. And he's just a version of those people you see at, you know, MAGA campaign events where they're like, Trump is still the president. And then the person's like, so then the high gas prices is Trump's fault? Well, no, that's Biden. Well, you just said Trump was president running everything. Yeah, but he doesn't run that part. Oh, but they, they gave him credit. During his term, every time gas prices fell, right? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was just checking. I, I seem to remember that. Okay. I, yeah, I do too. Or, you know, inflation. So then that would be Trump's fault. He's president. Well, no, that's Biden. But well, which is it? How Trump took credit for everything that was happening in the first year of his term. 
refusing to understand that that was actually just leftover from the Obama years, but then turned around and denied all of the things that were still happening in Biden's first year that were because his. of his rotten term. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, it's amazing how many people in this country don't understand that once a piece of legislation is passed and the president signs it, that it does not have an immediate effect. Generally speaking, the first year, especially if it's like monetary policies and stuff like that, it takes a while for things to, the effects of the new legislation to kick in. An example being in the 90s when Congress passed it was remember this was a Republican Congress that passed it, and it's what changed and allowed ballooning uh, mortgage rates. And Bill Clinton signed it. Well, the ballooning part didn't kick in until like seven years later. Mm-hmm. So that happened under a different president's administration, which was George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. But people blamed him. Well, no, that was not his fault. There's plenty of things he did that he can take the blame for. Oh, right? yes, indeed. <laughs> but that was a Bill Clinton 90s Congress act. And then fast forward a little bit, when the space shuttle program ended, everybody was blaming Obama for it. I can't believe Obama's ending the space shuttle program. Well, no, Obama did not end the space shuttle program. That happened under George W. Bush. <laughs> Which, honestly... The shuttle program did need to be replaced. It it wasn't very cost effective. There's the whole so I don't know how many times I was like, people, no. Just because it happened under Obama doesn't mean he did it. This was a Bush policy thing. Fast forward to our boy, the orange one, orange Jesus. He takes credit for SpaceX having um the capsule that can now take astronauts to the space station. Uh-huh. That was an Obama program. <laughs> Once again, takes place under the next guy. And people, any, oh, go ahead. Everything that everything, and I'm I'm using this with a big old chunk of salt, like from the salt plants. Everything that quote unquote good that happened during the the Cheetah Mussolini's term, he took credit for mm-hmm. everything that that occurred. It didn't matter when it was first put into effect. If it just happened to be occurring, he took credit for it. Everything that wasn't so good, <laughs> he acted like he knew nothing about. Yeah. Oh. And he probably didn't even know that SpaceX was launching astronauts to the space station until the day of. <laughs> anyway, you know, he probably had no idea. And... Another example is people blaming Biden for the tax increase that took place last year mm-hmm. on the middle class. No, that was part of the 2017 tax deal that occurred. Yep. Strange that millionaires and billionaires, their tax rate didn't go back up to what it was before. It was yeah. just everybody that made under, what was it, 150K or something like that. Some such thing. That's just the way legislation works. And literally, I saw people... Like two weeks after the Build Back Better plan was passed and signed in the law, they're like, the Build Back Better plan has done exactly nothing for the country. Well, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. They probably haven't even issued the first check for any of that shit yet. It takes time. (laughs) And as fat and procedure-laden as the U.S. government is, everything they do takes yeah, yeah, and yeah. It has to be done in triplicate. <laughs> yep, that's true. So, Somehow we just side-quested from crazy Johnny Enloe talking about Trump being, oh, yeah, I know how, because people blame Biden for the stuff not going good, but Trump's the president on the good stuff that happens. I remember how we got off track now. Sorry. The gleefully <laughs> stupid. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So anyway, that was my crazy WTF. And uh, what's yours? Today, I have one that I've been holding on, holding on to the last couple of weeks because, you know, I was a little bit more selectively outraged at other things. But this still is is an interesting bit of stuff. So, 24-year-old 
Natalia Harold of Florida was six pre was six weeks pregnant back in July of 2022 when she was charged in connection with the death of a woman named Gladys Yvette Borsella during an argument in an Uber. She was arrested and has been held on bail ever since. Her attorney, a fellow by the name of William M. Norris, has filed a petition for a writ of habeas corpus on behalf of the unborn child. The filing argues that the fetus, quote, is a person under the Florida Constitution and the United States Constitution and therefore has the right to due process. Furthermore, the unborn child has not been charged with a criminal offense by respondents or the Miami-Dade State Attorney's <laughs> Office, yet respondents have unborn child in a detention center known as TGK in Miami-Dade County, Florida. <laughs> this is a fine example of your unintended consequences coming back to slap Florida politicians in the collective face. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, in other people, words, get creative, folks. <laughs> Florida's fetal personhood law, which states a fetus is a person upon conception. Yeah. Kind of, kind of contradicts with other law that says you can't hold somebody in jail without charging them for something. And since the fetal person has not technically been charged, you are holding the fetal person unlawfully. And the fetal person is still inside its mother. Yeah. Dun-dum-dum. Yeah, it's like the uh, lady that got pulled over in the carpool lane, and she's like, I'm pregnant. It's for two or more people. And they're like, but it's, a, you're pregnant. And they're like, yeah, but under this new law in Texas, personhood starts at conception, so I qualify for the carpool lane. Like looking at him, so this is what an FYI stop. I'll see you later, officer. Beep beep. Yeah, yeah. I I I applaud things like that, even though I don't think that a lot of uh, people are going to understand on the other side who people who pass these laws why these laws are, you know, <laughs> why people challenge stuff like that because then it's persecution. Mm-hmm. You know you. Make it to where libraries can't have books that have incest, and then you're upset when people say, "Well, then the Bible can't be in libraries either." Oops. And then it's persecution. Well, they're persecuting us because we're Christians. No, the, you've made the law. <laughs> if the law's going to apply, it has to apply unconditionally. Yeah, it's not our fault. You don't know what's in the Bible when you write these laws. Or it's not. It's not our fault that you don't think of that when you write these laws. Yeah. Durr. I mean. You don't think about it until it's threatened. And then you sit back and wonder how you missed it. Do you know why? You're gleefully stupid. That's why. Yes. <laughs> yes. That That is exactly right. Maybe you should, oh, I don't know, know the thing, something about the thing that you're trying to pass a law about. Either for or banning, honestly, because it, it goes both ways, because something could maybe be, you know, done for, I don't know, a positive reason or whatever. But if you don't know the whole everything about it, you can put stuff in that screws everything up. So you need to be somewhat knowledgeable when you're trying to write laws. You know, I, I know that's not going to happen anytime soon, <laughs> you know. No. A la Marjorie Trader Green or Lauren, the 36-year-old, going to be Grandma Bobart. Yeah, I, I I found this story humorous when I first read it, and I continue to find it humorous. Not because a woman got killed and another woman is in prison because of it. That is, that's not even remotely funny. Right. I just find it funny, curious, with this defense that her attorney came up with. That's almost genius. Like, I wonder how long he sat there. In his little law office with all his law books. And he sat and he sat and he sat until he came up with this defense. Because the yeah. other part, the other part of his petition states that the woman had not been um, provided with adequate 
prenatal care and nutrition. She hadn't been to see an OBGYN for months and mm-hmm. she had been left in an overheated van. So there's some other things that are more right. practical. And I, I don't like using that word because those are important considerations when you're talking about a pregnant woman, regardless of whether or not she's in prison. So, but the fact that the lead in this story is him going ahead and saying, hey, y'all said the fetus is a person and you can't hold a person without charging them. So what's it going to be, fellas? Either you charge the fetus who's still inside his mother and I don't think is capable of getting up to much bad or you let her go. So. Yeah, that's actually the second most creative attorneys or defense attorney thing that I've heard in the last month. The most creative is in the um, bribery or whatever it is thing in New York City. Uh, a certain Donald Trump's attorney said that they can't go to court in August or in um, October because the prosecution has so much evidence against Trump that they don't have enough time to go through all of <laughs> all of the evidence because they have too much. And I'm like, isn't that kind of implying guilt? You guys should see the look on Kenyatta's face right now. It's it's quite a look she's got going on there. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to put it like this. And this is something I thought about yesterday as I went down the black rabbit hole of social media comments. Ugh. And the comments actually had to do with an LGBTQ plus story and naturally all the the fiends and the heathens came out and talked about how it's all unnatural and they're trying to force this on us and yada 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 and it made my face hurt but and i couldn't get out of it soon enough but i thought to myself instead of spending energy hating on these people because it's way too easy to do it i'm going to still wish them love I wish them the opportunity that someone will love and support them in a way that they are clearly incapable of doing for someone else. Yeah. It's hard to keep that mindset, though, sometimes. Even for someone like Cheeto Mussolini, even someone like these Florida politicians, even like those... uh Dirty, unwashed social media heathens who who can't pass up an opportunity to talk trash about someone who has a different life than they do. Mm-hmm. I wish them all love because if they had it, they wouldn't be out here doing the stuff that they're doing. One would hope. One would hope. Thing is, they probably would have benefited benefited a long time ago and it may be too late for a lot of them it may be yes but if they had had it if they had had it they wouldn't feel the need to be so nasty and so hateful in every single corner of the earth every time they get a chance it's ridiculous because Mm -hmm. you know it's, it's the same breed of people that supported cheeto mussolini and put him in office and and afforded him the opportunity to now to now go through all of this stuff, which he swears he's he's not guilty of, of course. If well, someone, yeah, it's a witch yeah, hunt. If, if someone had loved him better, <laughs> hell, <laughs> I read the book. His right? daddy was no saint, okay? Uh, that does not surprise me. So, apparently his parents were cold and distant and self-absorbed. So There you go. Maybe if he had had somebody 70-something years ago, but it's too late for him. Too late. Yeah. So, that may be pie in the sky, but that is also the end of my WTF. All righty. Well, before we move on to talking about uh, who we're going to talk about for, for the month of the ladies, for Women's Month. I'm not sure. Is that what it's officially called? Women? How? What is it called? Women's History Month. Sorry, yeah, there was no, a history right. in there. No, you're right. It is the month of the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mitt Romney's binders full of women. That's what it is. <laughs> yes, let's change the name officially to that. 
Binders will, and women. <laughs> that will always be my thing. I do not care. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, but before we go to that, we're going to uh, take a quick ad break. So hopefully you enjoy this ad. Hey, listening friends, Jack here. And I would like to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode. And that sponsor is Atlas. Atlas is a branding, web development, and content marketing agency. As a business owner, your day-to-day is uncharted enough. From branding and web design to content marketing, Atlas will help you navigate this digital terrain with ease. In today's world, social media is a great tool. However, you need to have a concrete, focused plan on how to use it. And that's where Atlas comes in. Atlas can help you navigate this modern digital world. And on top of that, Atlas can also help you with traditional means of marketing so if you would like to book your free consultation, please visit atlasokc.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-O-K-C.com for your free consultation. And we're back. Yeah. <sighs> Did you miss us? Because we missed each other while we were off exploring the wonderful world of capitalism. Indeed. And before we, before we get into our topic, though, I think we've both been remiss because listening friends, we know that you've been listening to us since the beginning. So, you know, you've heard a major change in our formatting in the last few weeks. Our intro has changed. Yes. We have not addressed that. We are remiss. So we'll address that right now. Through generous donations from ghost contributors and uh, patrons. We were able to raise enough money to hire a voice actor, a.k.a. my father. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. To record our new intro in in the style of the opening uh, dialogue from the great 80s television show, The A-Team. So. Yeah, he he had a price that when we, you know, put out bids, um, his his came back and it was far better than the thousands of other bids that we got Absolutely. in that it was free. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> free 99. <laughs> so that, you know, we, we looked at all of those offers and we were like, that's the one we're going to go with. That's the one. So listening friends, we hope you have been enjoying it because we certainly do. And yeah. uh, we wanted to make sure that we acknowledge that. So woohoo. Yeah. I'm, with the sh- I'm with the shoe. Yeah. In all seriousness, though, thank you to Victor for recording that for us. It was it was really nice of him, and I think it turned out quite quite nice. <laughs> it really did. It really did. So. Yep. Yep. So, moving on. Now that we've given the proper thanks mm-hmm. to your your papa, indeed. Today, I'm going to talk about one of the all time. Great Hollywood actresses, Michelle Nichols. Hey, girl. That's right. AKA Lieutenant Uhura mm-hmm. from Star Trek, which is cool. We, uh, Kenyatta and I know sort of the story, what we'll dive into, but there's some stuff here that I did not know. And if I'm going to scroll, I need to use the right mouse. Um, so Michelle Nichols was actually born Grace Dell Nichols on December 28th, 1932. She passed on July 30th of 2022. She was an American actress, singer, and dancer, best known for Ahura in the TV show, the film sequels, but she also voiced her in the Star Trek, the animated series from, I think it was 71 or 72. Uh-huh. And um, the interesting thing is she was born the third of six children. Her father was the mayor of the town of Robbins, Illinois, and then he also became its chief magistrate. But she did not like her name, and she asked her parents if she could have a new one. And they offered Nichelle, which they said meant victorious maiden. And they got that from Nike of Greek mythology and the suffix L. And then later, the family moved to an apartment in the Woodlawn neighborhood of Chicago, and she graduated from Inglewood High School 
1951. And then from the age of 12, she studied dance at the Chicago Ballet Academy, which I, I knew that she was a singer. She had really, really an incredible voice. Um, there are a couple episodes in Star Trek where she sings. Uh-huh. And um, she started her career as a singer and a dancer in Chicago, but she then toured the United States and Canada with the bands of Duke Ellington and Lionel Hampton. And in 1959, she appeared as the principal dancer in the film version of Porgy and Bess. And her acting break came in an appearance in Kicks and Go, Oscar Brown's highly touted but ill-fated 1961 musical. It was a thinly-veiled satire of Playboy magazine, and she played Hazel Sharp, a voluptuous campus queen who was being tempted by the devil, and Orgy Magazine to become Orgy Maiden of the Month. Sorry, that's funny. <laughs> Isn't that always the way, though? <laughs> right? And although the play closed after a short run in Chicago, she attracted the attention of Hugh Hefner, and he wanted and he booked her as uh, one of the singers at the Chicago Playboy Club. And then she appeared in the role of Carmen for the Chicago Stock Company production of Carmen Jones. And then um, on... Uh, in January of 67, she was featured on the cover of Ebony Magazine, and she had two featured articles in the publication in five years. You know, touring with Duke Ellington is pretty pretty impressive, because Duke Ellington wasn't exactly a uh, slouch. Not at all. He was a pretty big deal back then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he also had you know, just a little bit of talent himself. A just, just a smidge. Just a smidge. A little bit. A little bit. Yep. And um, (laughs) I'm going to assume that one of the things that later on, I'm going to say the other thing. One of the things that helped her get her role in Star Trek is before Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry did the show The Lieutenant. And she guest appeared as a guest actress on that show. Um, Anyway, in her book, she said that she had had an affair (laughs) with Gene Roddenberry before he married his wife. So that probably also helped. But they broke up and they became friends. That probably also helped her get that role. It's possible. Um, but not that I'm, I'm obviously not judging one way or the other. But oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, no, not at all. No. Yes. And then, of <laughs> course, <laughs> highlighting Star Trek, because, you know, that is probably one of two things that she's most known for. And the second thing wouldn't have happened without Star Trek. And on Star Trek, she was she's generally regarded as one of the first black women to have been featured in a major television series. Mm-hmm. And um, but it wasn't just that she was in it. It's that her character was an officer. Her mm-hmm. character was important. Her character's opinion was valued and mattered. Mm-hmm. That was really um, the unprecedented part at the time. Because if I if I remember reading about the, the show and Roddenberry specifically, he wanted to make that cast multicultural because mm-hmm. his idea is that this far into the future, things like race and ethnicity don't matter anymore. Right. Hum- I humanity, mean, yeah. humanity is humanity. Yeah, because so. there was you know a a black woman, an Asian man. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, a Russian, Russian guy, but he was played by <laughs> he was played by an American. But yes, um, still, there was a Russian, and then obviously Spock was an alien. Yes, and that was as much diversity as they consider themselves to have on the USS Enterprise, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, Scotty was Scottish. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so after the first season. She had been offered a role, it was a lead role on a Broadway production, and she always had preferred stage acting to television acting. And so she decided that she was going to take the role because she didn't necessarily see her character as being important. And so she went in on a Friday and told Roddenberry, hey, I'm going to leave. Here's my resignation letter. And Roddenberry apparently spent quite a bit of time trying to convince her to stay. But she just wouldn't do it. And so he finally said to her, well, take the weekend off and think about it. And on Monday, if you don't want to stay, we'll release you from the show. 
Well, it just so happened that that Saturday she was attending a banquet that was being run by the NAACP. And it was there that she was informed that a fan really wanted to meet her. So this is what came from uh, what she says in her book. I thought it was a Trekkie. And so I said, sure. I looked across the room and whoever the fan was had to wait because there was Dr. Martin Luther King walking towards me. With, his, with this big grin on his face, he reached out to me and said, Yes, Miss Nichols, I am your greatest fan. And he said that Star Trek was the only show that he and his wife, Coretta, would allow their three little children to stay up and watch. And so she told King that she was planning on leaving the series because she wanted to go act to Broadway. Or she didn't get to say that part, um, that she was wanted to go to Broadway. But... He responded with, you cannot, you cannot, for the first time on television, we will be seen as we should be seen every day, as intelligent, quality, beautiful people who can sing, dance, and can go to space, who are professors and lawyers. And he said to her, if you leave, that door can be closed because your role is not a black role and it is not a female role. He can fill it with anybody, even an alien. So that changed her mind, and she went in on Monday and told Roddenberry that she was going to stay, and then he opened, and he said, okay, and he opened up his drawer, and apparently he had already torn up her resignation letter. <laughs> um, I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, and so she did stay, and, you know, obviously King was correct in that assumption. And here are some of the people that have credited her role as a her astronaut made Jemison. She was shuttle and I believe also space station, um, but she had a role, um, a guest appearance on Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. But that was, you know, Michelle Nichols is what inspired her. And Whoopi Goldberg was also inspired by Michelle Nichols. And um, there is, her and Shatner are credited as having the first interracial kiss on TV. There are some that say there might have been one or two that happened before that. I'm not going to argue it. Cool. Although there's another side of the story because apparently it was supposed to be another member of the crew. And Shatner realized that that might be groundbreaking. And so he had him change it to Kirk. But that's a story for a different episode of the podcast. I do want to interject, though, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. That that particular episode caused such an uproar that there were NBC, it was NBC Mm -hmm. that ran the show. There were NBC affiliates down south that refused to air it. Mm -hmm. How dare you, race mixing. Right? (laughs) It's funny that you point this out. Yeah. Because uh, Nichols received a letter from a white southern a white Southerner who probably was racist based on what he's going to say, but this is kind of a funny statement. Mm. He wrote to her, I am totally opposed to the mixing of the races. However, anytime a red-blooded American boy like Captain Kirk gets a beautiful dame in his arms that looks like Uhura, he ain't gonna fight it. Mm. That is... (laughs) Both... Offensive and complimentary, <laughs> vaguely complimentary, because he sounds like one of those ones that would talk smack along with all the other members of his family about black folks, but then let him go, you know, downtown to the grocery store and he's stalking black women up and down the aisles. <laughs> he's one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, I read that and just thought. That is both, it's funny, sad, the product of the times, and yet, oddly not. <laughs> that whole thing is just weird. <laughs> because the I, the I, and it's still an idea, I think, that perpetrates today that folks, especially in this particular country, folks of the, I'll call it, I'll call them the social majority, have an idea about minority communities that they all act a certain way, like mm-hmm. they're monolithic. So right. when they when they get a load of one one of the members of that community acting completely 
unpredictable way, at least unpredictable for them, all of a sudden it's not that bad. Right. And, oh, I understand. Okay. Okay, uh, Herschel. I'm I'm sure you did enjoy that episode. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one more sort of based on her acting Star Trek stuff. And um, when Comedy Central did its roast of Shatner on August 20th, 2006, Nichols was one of the uh, keynote or keynote, one of the speakers that went and got to roast Shatner. And um, apparently she turned to him and said, what do you say? Let's make a little more TV history and you can kiss my black ass. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that and so, awesome. yeah. And uh, basically a lot of the other stuff that she did outside of Star Trek was generally just sort of guest ro roles on TV series. Um, she did a lot of voice work uh, for various uh, type of cartoons. For example, she was on Batman the Animated Series. Hmm. Uh, she was on did a voice on The Simpton, Simpsons? The Simpsons, mm -hmm. if I could speak. Uh, she played Cuba Gooding jr's mom in the movie snow dogs and um she's you know all sorts of stuff like that um she did have a reoccurring role in the second season of the nbc drama heroes and um other stuff like that she did she yeah. did yeah and let's see here uh, she played uh, a character on The Young and the Restless in 2016 for which she received a Daytime Emmy nomination for Outstanding Guest Performer in a Drama Series. And then she has also, if anyone's interested, she has released two music albums, Down to Earth as a collection of standards released in 1967 during the original run of Star Trek and Out of This World, which was released in 1991, which is more rock-orientated and is themed around Star Trek and space exploration. And then, as mentioned, she sang in the Star Trek episodes, Charlie X and the Conscience of the King. But I have no way of knowing this, but I have a feeling that she probably thinks this may have been every probably more important than the other stuff. And that is in 1977, she became a spokesperson for NASA and she volunteered and her whole deal was to recruit minority and female personnel to the space agency. Hmm. Um, but the program was a success. Among those recruited were Dr. Sally Ride, the first American female astronaut, United States Air Force Colonel Guyon Bluford, the first African-American astronaut, mm -hmm. as well as Judith Resnick and Dr. Ronald McNair, who both mm -hmm. flew successful missions with the space shuttle program. And um, they were on the Challenger disaster when it happened. Yes. And But also Charles Bolden, who went on to become the NASA administrator, was one of the people that she was helped help recruit in. Uh, he was a veteran of four space shuttle missions. I can't talk tonight. But Frederick Gregory, former deputy administrator and veteran of three shuttle missions, and Lori Garver, former deputy administrator. And it, she was an enthusiastic advocate of space exploration, and she served from the mid-80s on the Board of Governors of the National Space Institute, uh, which is today called the National Space Society, which is a nonprofit educational space advocacy organization. And in uh, 2015, she flew aboard NASA's Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, which is a Boeing 747, um, which has a a telescope in it, which is cool that she got to do that. And let's see, she was a special guest when, in 1976, Viking 1 landed on Mars. She was there, and she was also there for the christening of the first space shuttle, the Enterprise, which didn't go to the space. It was just like the uh, um, the prototype um, space shuttle. And one of the things, though, at the time, people asked after the Challenger, why didn't they just retrofit the the Enterprise? Because it was only designed to be dropped and then, like, fly around. No, fly around. Hover, glide, thank you, oh, around okay. in, in, in the Earth's atmosphere. But it did not have the structural integrity to withstand re-entry, the mm -hmm. forces of re-entry 
and it actually would have been more expensive to rebuild the Enterprise to handle those tolerances than to just build a new space shuttle. <laughs> so true, true. that's what ended up happening. Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, she took something that, you know, she was not necessarily wanting to do after a year. And she actually probably made such a huge difference in so many people's lives, just in the NASA part of getting people to come to NASA. To me, that's, you know, being an actress and or an actor and doing stuff in TV is fun and great. But I think how many kids are scientists now because of her? I would I wouldn't I, I don't even have to go that far. How many young black girls that were watching the show back in the six decided that they could be any damn thing they wanted to be? Yeah. Because they watched her. Exactly. Representation matters. And it mattered even more so back then. then. <laughs> yeah. And I like. Of course, I've always liked the, the the story about her being encouraged to stay in the role by Dr. King. And it kind of, it reminds me of, we may have talked about this a long, a long time ago on a really early episode, about pioneers and groundbreakers that are at the forefront of certain movements and how much of how much of what they do is because they want to. And how much of it is obligation sometimes. I got to wonder. Mm -hmm. I'm not implying this of her or anybody else in those particular roles, especially during the 50s and 60s in the civil rights movement. But I know that they were probably certain people that those roles and expectations were put on that may have not necessarily wanted to do that. Yeah, yeah. They, they wanted to be able to live freely without being harassed. But then again, they didn't want to necessarily be an icon or anything remotely like that. You know, yeah, it 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 kind of also sounds like in her case that honestly, she may not even had considered because for her, it could have just been another acting job. Sure. And she might not have even considered the other half of it. And then when Dr. King told her that she might have been like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. I haven't thought of that that's because true. she certainly took that to heart afterwards, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because she could have she didn't have to go in the movies or do any of the NASA and all of that other stuff. I tell you what, though, as much as I absolutely adore her, she also did not have to do that weird fan dance in Undiscovered Country. That yeah. was... <laughs> that was... <laughs> I love her. Yeah. I love her, but that scene was like, what? Yeah. In oh. <laughs> in um the fifth one, the one Shatner... The, one of the worst films uh, where, where they go to God. The Final Frontier? Yes. Is that it? Yeah. I yeah. believe so. The one, strangely enough, there was a small subplot in there, and it was actually one of my favorite subplots in all of Star Trek, and that is that apparently her and Scotty had started dating. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> As seniors. And I just always thought that that was kind of... That was cute. I thought it was cute, but I also kind of thought about it. I was like, you know, at that point in the show, they had known each other for, what, 30, 35 years, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. And I could see where that would legitimately happen. Yeah. I, and that yeah. was one of my favorite subplots of all of Star Trek, was that little uh, bit that happened in there. But I, as bad as that movie was... They had one of the most iconic lines out of the entire Star Trek franchise. That's right. <laughs> when he says um, near the end where they finally can confront the, the, the being uh, that's pretending to be God. And he yeah, says, why does God need a starship? <laughs> Thanks. That's, that's one. The second one I'm thinking of, too, is when he says, bring me your pain. And the entity's like, my pain? He says something like, I can feel it. Share it with me. He just sacrifices himself so they can escape because Tupac actually sampled that line in one of his songs so <laughs> that's why it's been stuck in my head for a very long time but they, yeah that was not yeah. a good that was not a good entry into the franchise not at all no just my, that one subplot was the best in my opinion yeah it was part. it was cute I like that I did like that and then in all, start is it three so where she yeah, where they steal the Enterprise and she's working in that other thing so that they can steal the Enterprise and that guy's like this is just so boring. And she's like, yeah, after all I've gone through, I'm looking forward to a nice, quiet job. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so then she locks him in the closet. Correct. <laughs> and then they went ahead and, and took the stolen ship and uh, time traveled back to 1980s Earth. In the Klingon battle cruiser. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. Um, but one last thing, well, two last things mm-hmm. about her. One is sort of about her. It's kind of weird. Her younger brother, Thomas, was a member of the Heaven's Gate cult, and he died on March 26, 1997 in the cult's mass suicide. What? With the passing of Comet Hell Bop. What? And he, had, he was a long-time member. He had been a member for 20 years. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And the other interesting little tidbit is on February 29th, 2012. Nichols met with President Barack Obama in the Oval Office. She later tweeted about the meeting. Months ago, President Obama was quoted as saying that he had had a crush on me when he was younger. Nichols wrote, I asked him about that and he proudly confirmed it. He also confirmed for her that he was definitely a Trekkie. I believe it. Of course he was. Of course Barry was a Trekkie. Come on. Yep. And then... um. Unfortunately, there at the end, she had had a stroke, and then there was a lot of legal stuff with people trying to control her assets and everything, mm. uh, which is really sad. It is, because there were, like, allegations of elder abuse. Yeah, yeah. And she passed away at the age of 89. Mm-hmm. Um, but is what is cool, her ashes are due to be sent into space along with Majel Barrett, who was married to Gene Roddenberry, mm-hmm. also played Nurse Chapel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was the first um, first officer on the Captain Pike um, the pilot, the pilot, pilot that, so, yeah. right? Then later got moved into the two parter with Spock. Yeah, and then um, she also played uh, Deanna Troy's mother and is the voice of the computers on Star Trek. She was always fun. I liked her. Yeah, so she will be going to space uh, with her, and Gene Roddenberry's ashes are already floating in space somewhere. I have no idea where. So. I just found all of that stuff interesting, and in 1982, Robert Heinlein dedicated his novel Friday to her, and then there is an asteroid that is named after her as well. I love it. Yep. I love it. I I really, really hate that the the end part of her life was marred by people trying to take advantage of her. I hate that. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Unfortunately, with celebrities that tends to happen quite a bit because that also happened with Casey Kasem. And yeah. For our younger listeners, that's the original voice of Shaggy. We, of course, also know him for his role as uh, doing the top Casey's Top 40 on Saturday mornings. I tell you, I used to look forward to that. I'm Casey Kasem. Yep. And yep. just for an extra tidbit, and I'm probably going off the rails on this one, but I can't help it. He was married up until his death for a number of years to an actress. And she had bit parts here and there. A notable one was in the first Ghostbusters, where she plays a party guest mm-hmm. at uh, Moranis' character's apartment, where he gets chased by the devil dog, et cetera, et cetera. She's the blonde, the tall blonde with the weird ponytail. That's her. Jean yep. um, something or other. Jean Kasem. Yeah, and she was also had a reoccurring role on Cheers. She sure did. She's married to Carl's ex-husband. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I hate hearing stories about celebrities getting on in years. And just like anybody else, unfortunately, they may come to a point where they have to depend on other people. And those people want to take advantage of them. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, I do too. I do too. But Michelle Nichols was definitely a... um, I I did not find any negative things about her. Oh no, no no no, so, no, no gossip, no no slander, nothing like that. She yeah. was she's a class act up until the end. I think. Yeah, she was a she was a beautiful person inside and out. Yeah, yeah. But I always had to wonder though, and I still do. Why did the female crew members always have to wear the tiny skirts? They got it right in the Next Generation, and from then on out. But even when they rebooted the Star Trek series, they put the ladies back in the little skirts and the knee-high boots. Why? I know they wanted to capture the feel of the original 60s. I get it. But I don't like it. I just had to say that. Thank that you. was just the 23rd century. You know, that's just the style from the 23rd century and how 
dare you question the styles of the 23rd century. Mini skirts and knee-high boots. Yeah. That's just the future we have to look forward to. It's nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Never wore a mini skirt in my life. Nor have I. I mean, you could have. I'm. To be fair, I have worn a kilt hundreds of times, but those are not mini skirts. No. They go to my knee. See? Mini skirts do not, hence the word mini. So, I'm just curious, why is that necessary for a full-fledged crew member of an expeditionary force to perform her duties? Why does she have to wear that? Why is that necessary? She can wear pants just like all the men's. It makes no difference, but for some reason... The ladies have to be mini-skirted and booted and tighted. And for some reason, that makes, you know, all the difference in their job duties in the Federation. Poopah. I'll never buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can only be enlightened to so so far. I guess. Enlightenment (laughs) has its limits. It does. It's true. And that limits is skirt length. Either skirt length. Or knee-high length, either or. (laughs) Yep. Having said that, then, (laughs) I applaud Miss Nichols. She was definitely an icon and a groundbreaker, and she really did have uh, quite an iconic um, and widespread career. Very multifaceted. Yep. Definitely important in lots of ways, not just for um, Black Americans, but for women. In general, mm-hmm. and minorities in general as well. Because we're still, mm-hmm. the original series came out at a time when women still weren't able to have their own bank accounts and credit cards. Yeah. They had to either go to their husbands or if they were single, go to their fathers or some other male guardian. That was still happening. Yeah. Recently. And then you have a woman like her. Being able to take a role like that front and center on a weekly basis and have her represent education, intelligence, independence. Shoot. Blue people's minds. Yeah. She was a triple threat. She really was. She could sing. She could dance. She could act. And having having played in in Carmen Jones. Shoot. I think Carmen Jones, I think Dorothy Dandridge. Like, that is not an easy role. Yeah. So, but yeah. Definitely a, a widespread career. I salute her. I do too. I do too. Live long and prosper. Yep. She definitely, definitely missed. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That 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 was a that was a hurt hurting feeling to hear she had passed last year. So. Yeah. Yep. Definitely was. But she had quite a life. Quite I'm, a life. I'm glad we took the time to to talk. About her and delve a little, a little bit deeper into her, into her life. So that was, that was a good time spent. Listening friends, we hope you agree. We'll be back, of course, next week with our second installment for the Binders Full of Women Month. <laughs> That's right. For Binders Month, our next episode in Binders Month. Yes. So stay tuned. As always, we thank you for tuning in. If you follow us on our main pod page or whatever platform you listen on, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the stray cats in the street. Let them know what we got going on here. If you like us, people engage. If you share us, people will know. We would love it if you did it. If you love us, we hope you do it. If you would like to bless us monetarily, you can do so. At buy me a coffee on one word dot com slash hyper focus pod. Also one word. Anything mm-hmm. you would like to end here with, Jack? Uh, just my one final thought is you will frequently hear people say to a celebrity, an athlete, an actor, you know, just dribble the ball mm. or you're just an actor. Well, Michelle is proof that. There's more to an actor or an athlete than just their acting or athletic abilities. Mm-hmm. And that they can go and do things that have a lasting generational impact on society. Yeah. And that's it. That's it, friends. Look for us again. Not the same time or the same place because, you know, this is the 21st century. 
22nd century, 22nd, 21st century, <laughs> where mini skirts and knee-high leather boots are still legal for the time being. Um, and while they are, let's enjoy them. And we're glad you enjoyed us. And uh, come back soon. Yep. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, hit that like button and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Let us hear your feedback. You can find us on our website, podpage.com slash kenyatta-jack-save-the-world. On Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W. On Facebook, or you can email us at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. You can also find further information about our chosen charities at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. And because we always want you to be good to yourselves and others, if you or anyone you know needs help or support, please check out the resources provided by the American Psychological Association at apa.org slash topics slash crisis dash Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a production of Hyper Focus Podcasts.